0: Good evening and welcome to the NFL Draft. Tonight we officially welcome the next generation of players. So if you're ready, are you ready? Let's get it started. The NFL Draft is officially open. NFL Draft Podcast. I am Trevor Sycamore. With me is Benjamin Solak. Joining you guys on a beautiful Monday morning edition of the Lockdown NFL Draft Podcast. That means that we're talking everything NFL. We are recapping all the NFL games that happened this past week, which include Sunday and Thursday from the Thursday action on Thanksgiving. But before we get there, I have a new mic. I would like for you guys to recognize that I have a new mic. Ben, I'll let you go first. Ben,
1: can you say a few words about my new mic, please? Congratulations on, on the new mic. Yes, thank you. Uh, I don't know if you know this legend, but one time when I got a new mic for Bleeding Green Nation, uh-huh. uh, I got it the same week that I proposed to Meredith. And then in the <laughs> pre-show, I spent like 10, 15 minutes setting up the mic with Mike Golkist on like figuring out the levels and everything and so then when mike opened the show he's like you've got some big news to tell people so i thought he was referring to my mic so i proceeded to talk about the mic for like three minutes and he just let me go <laughs> and then he was like i was actually talking about the other thing and then i had to admit yeah to the you good people. Married. Yeah, yeah, that was the second biggest piece of news <laughs> in my mind. Uh, so you did a much better job introing your new microphone than I did. I don't know if it was better. Your, yours was probably
0: better. You probably went into greater detail. <laughs> right. about, I, I,
1: depending <laughs> on which, which scale you're grading it on, arguably, yeah, mine was better. But I, I think yours was safer. Yeah, no, that's probably true.
0: I didn't offend anyone.
1: In Right, uh, <laughs> I didn't, it, you didn't get yourself into trouble.
0: <laughs> Me introing my new mic. Uh, well, with this beautiful new mic, I am going to recap The scores and say a few words of all the games that have happened already uh, in Week 12 in the NFL before we dig into the topics that we really want to get into. But before I do that, a message from our friends over at Pepsi reminding us that this football season is going to be different and Pepsi is here to get us ready for game day no matter how we watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment that you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers, These passionate fans are the real generational fans that Pepsi fuels because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi made for football watching. All right, I'll go down the list here. I'll recap the games. I'll start with Thursday, and then I'll run into Sunday before we dig into uh, what we really want to get to this week. Houston Texans took down the Detroit Lions 41-25. to Washington took down the Dallas Cowboys, so the traditional Thanksgiving team's 0-2 0-2 this year. There were two games, and uh, Washington won 41-16. to 16. Got a big divisional win there. Sunday, Raiders, Falcons. That was the biggest surprise game to me. The Falcons put a whooping on the Las Vegas Raiders, who were really starting to come around and get a lot of fans. And I thought the the bandwagon was really building for the Raiders. But 43-6, yikes, not great. Um, Buffalo Bills. They take down the Los Angeles Chargers. Chargers made that one very interesting down the stretch. I know Ben has a lot of words that he's going to want to express about the Chargers situation, but Bills come away twenty seven to seventeen. The victors there. They are now eight and three on the season. New York Giants, now four and seven. They beat the Cincinnati Bengals, who dropped to two eight and one by a score of nineteen to seventeen. I caught a lot of flack on Twitter after this game basically saying that uh, you did it was a nightmare scenario for the New York Giants to win this game and the way that I looked at it is at best you are going to win this division at five and eleven and I understand that winning does hold value but for five and eleven I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more throughout the show Uh, Tennessee Titans they took down the Indianapolis Colts in what was a premium matchup here um, in the AFC South, 45-26. to 26. They put it on them. Cleveland Browns, 27. Jacksonville Jaguars, 25. They barely escaped the clutches of the Jaguars there. A clutches of Mike Glennon, I should say. And after the game, the Jaguars fired their longtime general manager, Dave Caldwell. So now he is gone, but head coach Doug Marone, he is still there. The owner said that he's going to be there throughout the remainder of the season. Vikings huge comeback against the Carolina Panthers. They win twenty eight to twenty seven. Cardinals drop one to the Patriots twenty to seventeen. Dolphins take care of business against the Jets twenty to three. Saints, I'll uh, put it on the Broncos. I, we we talked about this being a very interesting game with Fangio going up against Taysom Hill. But really does wasn't... this
1: game count for the the handicapping? Did you take the Saints or the Broncos?
0: Um, I think I took the Broncos, but that was yeah, way. I...
1: Yeah, I definitely took the Broncos. That was on the line was five. Right. line became 14 and a half. Yeah. Well, and I then mean, up to 17.
0: I mean, we yeah, we picked the game on Wednesday, and then it was announced that the Broncos wouldn't have a single quarterback on the team. So not very pretty. But uh New Orleans takes the win there 31 to 3. 49ers 23. Los Angeles Rams 20. Chiefs 27. Buccaneers 24. And then the Sunday night football game, Green Bay Packers made it look easy against the Chicago Bears 41 to 25. Ben, I've done enough talking even for this new mic. So I'll let you take over where we are going first in uh the topics that we want to talk about for this week.
1: Yeah. So are we okay so We'll start with Thanksgiving, Thursday. I hope you had a good one. Um, And, and I want to talk about this one because I think we're going to talk about head coaches a couple times. Matt Patricia is fired. Uh, he was fired, I want to say, on Saturday? Did they did they fire him on Friday or was it Saturday? They fired him. So, ooh.
0: On, no, that's not true.
1: Yeah, yesterday, okay. Saturday. It was Saturday. Saturday. Yes. It was Saturday. Okay, so... Matt Patricia fired on it's Saturday. 26. GM Ooh. Bob. Yeah. <laughs> GM Bob. I was, to I was, to be, I was to be like, that's not how time works. Uh, <laughs> Patricia and GM Bob Quinn, both out from Detroit. Matt Patricia ends with a glorious, uh, total record, which, you know, obviously people like to talk about how bad it was relative to Jim Caldwell. Um, Relative to anybody, 13 29 and 1 is about as rough as it gets. And remember, they gave him this third season as well to kind of see what he could do with that. And the answer was not very much. Uh, What people talk about this Lions job and they talk about, firstly, being able to calibrate expectations, right? Like Caldwell was, you know, a, a below 600 coach. They made it to the playoffs a couple of times. If memory serves, Detroit hasn't won a playoff game. In the last 19 or 20 years they oh, I know they've yeah. made it, but I'm not not—I'm not sure uh, uh, what the what last time they won a playoff game was. I know that it's been a while since they got even to the divisional round. So, calibrating the, the expectations. Playoff, kind of, the Detroit Lions have not won a playoff game since 1991. Yeah, so 30 years, not 20 years. There you go. Uh, calibrating expectations to this job, trying to figure out how good you should be, how not good you should be. It's interesting to put them next to the Chargers. Because you could say a lot of similar things, and the Chargers job is no longer in San Diego, but you could say a lot of similar things about Detroit as you could about that San Diego job in terms of small market and 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 not a a big history of winning there and so on and so forth. The Chargers, at six overall, drafted Justin Herbert, and I'm here to tell you, Herbert's played well enough that they should realistically expect themselves to be an AFC contender if they build around him competently. Mm-hmm. Sure. Detroit obviously does not have that quarterback situation in the same way that that, that the Chargers do, right? They have you Matt say, Stafford. Oh, well,
0: are you saying just like long-term outlook? Cuz I mean like I, I Stafford is good. Okay. Stafford is good. How good is Stafford? I mean, I think that Stafford is absolutely a playoff caliber quarterback. Stafford championship is a, a what? What would you say? Championship? Like, right now, who's Dude. playing better, Justin Herbert or Matt Stafford? Well, I think it's Justin Herbert, and and Justin Herbert obviously gives you the higher ceiling when it comes to, like, a long-term outlook, but I still, like, I, I, I'm i not going to sit here and say that Matt Stafford's a problem with the G- Detroit Lions. Uh, I, I, I don't I don't think he is. I think that but, the, the next coach that should come in should come into it thinking that he already has their quarterback and can make a shot, a, a run at a playoff spot
1: okay so for you the expert like when if you're the ford family you're sitting down and you're saying we're interviewing head coaches who can take matt stafford and take our current roster and turn out a playoff caliber team Mm -hmm. see that that's tricky for me that is because if you look at so matt stafford obviously he's cuttable next year be 25 million in dead cap uh if even if 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 they take that whatever, it's obviously gonna be a big hit. Whatever. If they go beyond that, then then he's he's got another two years on his deal. He's currently thirty three. Okay, that's Stafford. Around him. Your top running back this year was Adrian Peterson, right? Who you signed on a one-year deal. It's going to be carry on DeAndre Swift going into the next years. You have Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola, Kenny Galladay, all free agents. They're all of them. 2020 is the founder of their contract. Mm-hmm. At tight end, you have TJ Hawkinson. you drive to the top 10 pick. and You don't use him like a star tight end. He hasn't performed like a star tight end. You're starting uh, left tackles, Taylor Decker. You paid him like he's elite. He's not elite. You, ha- you lost uh, uh, Rick Wagner. You replaced him with Jonah Jackson. You have Joe Dahl guard. Your guard's pretty good. Sends for him right now. Big V, Hulkulubati you your big money free agent, not very good at right tackle. Has been injured, and hasn't looked good, when he's played. You tried to move him to guard to be successful. That's the offense. The defense, as many have noted, is not built to perform well in a system other than the Patriots system. This this team's defensive ends are Trey Flowers, Romeo Quera, Everson Griffin, Deshaun Hand. Defensive tackles are Danny Shelton, John Pennicini. Like they are space gobblers, big guys, heavy-handed five techs. Right, the linebackers you've got Jamie Collins, you've got Jelani Tavai's are are big body New England linebackers. And then you've got man cover corners, or at least theoretically man cover corners. You really have no good corners mm-hmm. behind them. So this defense is if you want to run a First, like a modern defense, like anything that's like multiple with changing fronts, you have multiple years worth of work to do. If you want to just run like base four, three, one gap, you know, San Francisco 49ers front, Philadelphia Eagles front, we're going to get pressure with four multiple year onset. And you don't have enough talent in the secondary to get away with like, you know, you, you I mean, you can try to, I guess, continue to be a man coverage team. But I don't think you're going to be successful. Patricia wasn't all of this to say then I think if you walk into this as the Ford family with the framework of we could, we, we can have a playoff-caliber roster around Matt Stafford within the next year two years, number one, you better be ready to pay a lot of money in free agency, including to guys who are going to be leaving, uh, You know, who are potentially one out of Detroit and don't want to sign back. And I think it's putting a lot on a new head coach with a, a 30-plus-year-old quarterback. To me, the Lions look more like a team that you should take a swing And getting a very good head coach that maybe other teams view as ready in a year, ready in a couple of years. Think about what the Rams elected to do when they hired Sean McVay. Mm -hmm. Say, we might end up wrong on this guy, but we have a multiple year arc ahead of us anyway. So we're going to bring him in. We're going to attach him to a veteran offensive coordinator or a veteran defensive coordinator. We're going to get an associate head coach with him. And we're going to develop the head coach with the roster, and that's where I think you start looking at guys like Arthur Brown out of Tennessee, who's obviously got only a couple years of coordinator experience and has basically been in that Tennessee nucleus for the majority of his career. And you Arthur expect Smith, a little bit of, by the way, what's that? Arthur Smith. What do I call him? Arthur Brown. Yeah, I always do that. Yeah, I literally have you called just, him Arthur. You, Brown. you just think of AJ Brown the whole time. I get it. AJ Brown exactly. Uh, you think about Mike McDaniel, who's the, the running game coordinator for the 49ers, who, who's been with Kyle Shanahan pretty much at all of his stops and has been the wide receivers coach and, and now is working in the running game. And you think about him as as a sub 40 offensive mind, you know, future Mike LaFleur sort of a guy and bringing him in and seeing if like it's like the Bengals did with Zach Taylor, right? Like Here the Bengals are still not good two years later on Zach Taylor. And the question I have to ask themselves isn't, okay, was Zach Taylor a good head coach? Because the answer is no. Really? But it's, is Zach Taylor <laughs> going to be a good head coach now that we've given him these couple sure. years of experience? Which no. I'm not sure the answer is. Yes, but all this to say, to me, the Lions need a honest outlook, which is a long-frame outlook.
0: I And and I, I guess I see things as, as being a potential quick turnaround more than you do. The, the defense... The defense doesn't look pretty, but if you get someone who really is a up-and-coming offensive mind, who's going to be creative, who's going to be able to bring guys in. I mean, when I look at this offense, I think a DeAndre Swift, who has really shown a lot both on the ground and in the pass game, I think that she's... Showing you a lot of good signs there. Matthew Stafford's a guy who I obviously still believe in. I think their offensive line it could could use some extra guys, but I mean, like I don't I don't think it's terrible or anything. I think that you obviously absolutely have to bring Kenny Galladay back because you're hoping that he has a better relationship with the coaches that are there. We're, we've already seen how some of Matt Patricia's former players are already clowning him. Plus, you're getting Quinn out of there too think TJ Hawkinson can still have an upside as a a good tight end in a passing game and then if you have Kenny Galladay and like you're picking high you're picking in the top 15 you you get yourself a wide receiver all all of a sudden you have a really good quarterback with a strong arm a solid tight end option two really fantastic wide receivers and a good running back option like I'm I'm looking at this and I'm thinking that it doesn't have to be a total rebuild for the Lions now I, I again you know when I say that could there be a playoff team? I'm not, like, guaranteeing it would be a playoff team. I- I'm with you that it would need some work. I just don't think it's unsalvageable. Like, I don't think we're looking at Stafford's contract thinking, okay, when can we get out of this? I don't think you're going into the next head coach hire thinking, uh, you're you're sitting at the table with this guy and you go, okay, what can you do with when we get rid of Stafford? I don't think you're having that conversation yet. I, I really don't. Maybe, maybe – a lot of Lions fans disagree right. with me, but I, I just I don't see the situation as right. dire as you do.
1: No, I and and that, I think that's important. And I think let's use a, a similar framework to that which we used when we talked about Dallas potentially drafting a quarterback like a month ago. Your Detroit right now is one of like seven four win teams, and they're picking ninth on our on on the current draft order projections. Let's see Detroit ends up with like six quarterbacks in range. It, or how confident are you in Matt Stafford at the price tag relative to Trey Lance on a rookie deal?
0: Well, I mean, like isn't his isn't his contract the same situation as the other dudes? 47 what do you mean? 47 mil dead cap this year, 27 the next year and I guess 9 mil the year after that, like you can move on from Stafford in 2022, but again, like I, I, I don't think you're picking a quarterback at that point. I think you're picking a wide receiver. I think you're picking an offensive weapon. I think you're going for Jamar Chase, a Jalen Waddle, right. someone like that. I, like, I
1: guess yeah, it does depend like a little bit on you know you have to make the head coaching choice and the GM choice first before you make those those choices to to transition it to get on on one of my next topics actually the. You take the Chargers as as again like a, I think an interesting dichotomy, interesting comparison here. Yeah, the Chargers uh, you know, lines, like I said, are now top ten in the draft order. The Chargers are even higher. They uh, need, the Chargers they, are now they need
0: a new head coach,
1: right? The Chargers are now three and eight on the season after losing seventeen to seven against the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo, or seventeen to twenty seven, excuse me. And it shouldn't have been 17-27. It Should have been twenty four to twenty seven. They should have covered. It doesn't matter anyway. Big in top five, three and eight. They have a tremendous young rookie quarterback in Justin Herbert. And you ask why, if they have such a good young quarterback, are they losing? And the answer is, not talent. Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler. Defense, unlike Detroit, Bosa, Ingram, Murray, right. Howzer White, Drew Tranquil, Jerry Tillery, Nasir Adderley, Derwin James, corners aren't great, Casey Hayward, besides him, eh. They, we got what we're, we're we got. We're cooking with gas here. The coaching is bad and the coaching. I I, I don't want to speak to the preparation Monday to Saturday because I'm not there. I'm not uh, asking the players about it. You know, like we've had Daniel Popper of the athletic on this show before uh, for the Chargers. He has spoken to some of the issues. He he thinks of their preparation that them being ready to execute. You know, you can read about that. I, I don't want to touch that on Sunday. Anthony Lynn makes bad decisions. <laughs> Anthony yeah. Lynn, w- negatively affects his team.
0: I, I, I just wanted to say, like, we, we talk about chargering all the time, right? It's it's where you have a lead and you absolutely choke it in the worst way. Well, I, I, there comes a point to where it's not just player execution. Like, that. that's just coaching. If that continues to happen, these are pros. These athletes don't want to lose football games. It's not like they're choking this consistently every single week with what they can do. It comes down to being put in the right situation, knowing when to call plays in certain spots, knowing when to use timeouts, knowing. How to manage a clock, knowing how to control a game—all of this stuff goes into coaching. And I think that this weekend, more than anything else, Anthony Lynn showed us that he just doesn't know what he's doing to end halves. Right. The first, the, the end of the first half was abysmal. Let alone the fact that Justin Herbert completed two hail marys at the end of the game to get them to the goal line. One of them was called back because it was a push off, but he still completed
1: it. And the second and one, by actually- the way. Always commit OPI. Great play, Jalen Guy, and do it again next time. Yeah, it was great. It's fantastic. Yeah, and it. then the
0: other one was connected. And what do they do when they have timeouts? They run and sprint down the field and then they run the ball down two scores. What yeah. do you
1: do? Ha- oh, I right. So like ah herbal who- in your wide receiver room have somehow like clawed open a sliver of a chance for you to win this game and you shut it again. And and that and that's the thing, is like Lynn made bad decisions, and you could just take them and then a vacuum and prove that they're bad. But in the aggregate, he is cautious on fourth down. In the aggregate, he is too run heavy. Aggregate. And then you look like the, the 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 Chargers are 30th out of 32 in run block win rate. Dan Feeney and Forrest Lamp still start for this team. They're both bad. Sam Tebby at left tackle, he's. Bad for the past five weeks. Austin Eckler has been out. Justin Jackson has been out. They've been on their third and fourth string running back and they're still run heavy. So now what we have, is it's not just to say Lynn made a bad decision in this moment at this time. And this is how it helped the charge lose bang overall. The, like if the word is optimized, if the word is maximized, Lynn just doesn't have it. Right. Like well, the the edges you need to be exploiting, the adjustments you need to make, the 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 having your finger on the pulse of your team, understanding what they're trying to tell you, what your talent is. He wasn't gonna start Justin Herbert. Herbert was the backup to Tyrod Taylor. Only started because of a freak horrible medical accident where Tyrod Taylor's lung was punctured, and then after Herbert looked great against the Chiefs. Lynn was like, we're going to put Tyrod back. And it took another couple games of Herbert to be like, well, huh, maybe this guy. So like, when it comes to optimizing, when it comes to adjusting to your team and, and constantly trying to figure out the best way to win, it's clear Lynn is set in his ways and, and he's unwilling to change. And that's the critical thing for me, because when you look at the Chargers, there's there's work to be done on this team. This offensive line needs uh, assistance. There's no <laughs> yeah, doubt about dead, that. Dead badly, badly. Uh, you know, you, you you have Mike Williams, who's, who's going to be on a contract year in 2021. You have to take a look at that. Hunter Henry's on a contract year this year. You take a look at that. They need a little bit more help at corner. But in L.A., new stadium, rookie quarterback who's ready to light the league on fire. Rookie quarterback who went toe-to-toe with, with Mahomes. Like, you were tie game late with the Mahomes in his first ever start.
0: Do you mean to put a the in there with the Mahomes?
1: I don't think I did. <laughs> It's this though. is where, but this is where you bring in your established play caller. This is where you bring in a coach who's gonna look at Herbert, look at the weapons, look at the offensive line, know how to solve the problems, know how to how to immediately spark some improvements, spark some excitement. And dude, all it is is like he's Herbert's like below action in play action rate or below average in play action rate. He's below average in, in, in pre snap motion. It's just like the easy stuff. Mm-hmm. You get that nonsense in there. Get a good guard. Get a good center. Freaking go. So the Chargers, to me, are in a situation where you need to move on from Lynn in large part because Lynn is holding you back, but also in, in, in other part because if you get a, a a good head coach who knows how to maximize this young player, a good offensive play call, a good designer, you can take this thing, bang, we're yeah. ready to move. Yeah. And so, so my big storylines are Patricia fired. To me, that Detroit job is a long look. Anthony Lynn not yet fired. Uh, I believe that he should be. I really like Anthony Lynn. I think he's a great running backs coach. Andy Lynn, I, th- I believe, should be fired from the head coach, shop from the Chargers, and I think that they they should take a serious look at guys like your Eric Bienemis. And, and and guys who you trust to be creative offensive designers, good, good quarterback developers who are going to get you competitive with Herbert immediately in the AFC.
0: Yeah, I think that if you're a head coach, the... Chargers situation is more appealing than the Lions situation.
1: Even though I don't think that the Lions are in I total despair. I think the Chargers situation is more appealing than Houston. I think it's more appealing than Detroit, Atlanta, um, the Jets. I I would Absolutely. I would only say Houston because
0: it's a weird follow up with what Bill O'Brien did to that team and that roster. But I mean like let's not forget the Deshaun could very well be one of the best QBs in the league over the next 10 years, and he's done it over a longer scope of time than Herbert. I love Herbert. Herbert's been fantastic, but like it is his rookie year. Guys have been known to sometimes fall back once.
1: I you can't get- name one quarterback who is very good in his rookie or maybe sophomore year and is now absolutely atrocious. Oh, you can't? Not a single name comes to mind. You can't? Can't. Don't even think of one.
0: What about Harson benz <laughs> Yeah, he's kind of bad now. Isn't so he? I mean, that's I, I I love the Chargers situation, but it is interesting because when you when you look at the Lions and when you look at potentially the Chargers, I think they're different head coach outlooks. Um, because you're right, for the Chargers, you almost would like somebody who's been there before, you know? Like, and and yeah, I hate doing the whole recycled head coach thing because. Sometimes it works sometimes. And you're right though. Sometimes it works. And like for the chargers, you you want a guy, but when it comes to that, those X factor parts of coaching, you know, like really understanding clock management, really knowing how to put your players in the right position to succeed. Those are the guys who, if you're nailing that you're normally not getting fired. You're normally not available. You know what I'm saying? And so that just might be hard for the chargers, even if that might be high on their list of guys that they would want, that might really not be out there realistically. And so, shoot man you you think about guys like joe brady offensive coordinator for the panthers brian dabble the offensive coordinator for the buffalo bills i mean those could be two very like fun a,
1: an example to me of a guy who like i would expect to be ready and the reason i would expect dabble to be ready is because he spent time in new england he spent time in alabama right and Sure. Now, sure and now in buffalo with the reins like I, like mcdermott's obviously head coach but he's a defensive minded guy dabble had the reins in buffalo and he showed you, he figured out how, like, they, they did a ton of deep passing. They did a ton of play action. They figured out what worked with Allen. And they got the wide receivers to implement it. Like, to me, Dabble is the sort of guy who I would expect him to hit the ground running. Well,
0: I feel like he would be the number one guy for the Chargers. You know, he's— oh, he's. I'm he, telling you, that get Dabble gets me excited just thinking about that. Yeah, he's he's the number one name on this list. Um, Some top stories that I wanted to, to talk about. You know, we've talked about it a couple of times on this podcast— over the last few weeks as we've really sorted out who are the real contenders in this league right now. And um, let me tell you, I got firsthand look at the Chiefs and how good they could possibly be because they took on the Bucks this past weekend and boy, did they tear them up. Uh, the Bucs basically dared the Chiefs to best them mano-a-mano in a lot of situations, Chiefs offense versus Bucks defense. And let me tell you, Ben, didn't end well for the Buccaneers. It simply did not. The Chiefs were able to flex their muscles in basically every way in the passing game. And even though the Bucs do have some of the younger defensive pieces, especially in the secondary, the Chiefs showed the Buccaneers that, look, if you want to play your coverages evenly, if you want to play man coverage against us, we will burn you. If you want to even up how you play zone, we will burn you. If you want to move your safety, uh, multiple safeties even, now over Travis Kelsey and over Tyreek Hill after they've burned you for hundreds of yards already, we will simply go to the other side of the, of the field and we will attack you with uh, Nicole Hardman and uh, with Watkins and, and, and just everybody else. And they've shown th- the game against the Buccaneers was the perfect blueprint, that there is no blueprint for how you really stop the Chiefs. All you can do is play them well enough to hope you slow them down to where Mahomes might Mm -hmm. miss a couple of throws here and there. Because other than that, they're too good. He's too good. The play caller is too good. The offense is too good. We live in an age where offense is king. We say this all the time. And the Chiefs have it figured out better than anybody else they not only have the right scheme the creativity the confidence they also have the talent they have the players there are so many times where I'll listen to you know a coaching clinic or something like that and he'll talk about you know here's how like if they line up in this situation or you know like when we were playing back in the day there was a situation where we were going up against this guy and we played him well because you know we either doubled him here or gave him an extra look here here's how we contained him but then sometimes they would just go but they had this guy, and he was an all-pro player All right. for five straight years, and it just didn't work. He's just a scheme buster. And the Chiefs' entire offense is just scheme busters. and it's, They're they're playing at such an incredible level, and I, and I just wanted to reiterate again that from what I saw this past weekend, this was the first time that I really got to watch a Chiefs game through and through live, and they're the best team in the NFL. Uh, we're not breaking news here when I say that, but my God, man. It's just mm-hmm. a nightmare to try to line up against this right. team and slow them down.
1: I always, I'm always, always in this time. Remember thinking about like so, Cody Alexander, the Art of X, who does a ton of defensive stuff in one of his books. I don't remember which one it is, but he's writing about just like the theory of defense in general. And he was like at the high school level. Basically, what we're trying to do is say you if you're gonna throw it on us, it's gotta be deep and outside. And the reason we're trying to say that is because that's the most difficult throw. And right. so we're gonna force high school quarterbacks, high school wide receivers to throw it deep and outside. And if they can do that, we're gonna lose the football game. What do you force the Chiefs to do? Like right. what's what's the difficult thing for the Chiefs? <laughs> what's the thing that you're like, all right, if we give this up, then the Chiefs just beat us on this shucks. Like cause the Chief, there's nothing that's not available to them. Yep. Right. There's no you know, and that's that, that the thing with Mahomes that's always so impressive to me beyond the arm talent beyond the throws, beyond all, all, all the transcend transcendence, is in games like this he gets to be just wicked explosive. Tyreek kills 200 receiving yards in the first half. They build a huge lead, and then obviously they kind of sat on it a little bit. And I'm sure they'd like to be able to run the ball a little bit better and 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 not get it to where it's a three point game and they have to really salt it away. But in those games in which teams do take away a lot of Mahomes deep stuff, a lot of the Tyreek stuff that we saw hitting, Mahomes is willing. And humble enough to just, like, take the underneath stuff and to be a nickel and dime passer and, and, and to go quick game and to take what the defense is giving him. And that's very hard when you're as talented of a player as Mahomes is. And, and that's were, why his bad games are even his good games.
0: And I think that, yeah, in the beginning we saw some instances where if you take away the fun stuff for Mahomes, the hitting the deep passes, like, sometimes he can get bored and just attempt passes mm-hmm. that he probably shouldn't or just get frustrated with the fact that he can't attack deep because he wants to do that and like sometimes you can get to him in that mental game but there was you know Tampa <laughs> after getting burned and give after giving up 200 receiving yards to Tyreek Hill in the first quarter of the game they as you would expect, adjusted a little bit and put some guys over top of them. didn't really let him get over the top anymore, had a safety over him at all times. They did the same thing with Travis Kelsey eventually. And they really did. They they kind of forced the Chiefs to take underneath stuff. And Mahomes did that for a little while. But then there were plays where the Bucks would throw pressure at them. the The pocket would collapse. Mahomes would not take the initial potential underneath throw that he would have would run outside the pocket, would buy time, would buy time, would buy time, would maybe make a tackle miss. And then all of a sudden you've got Hill or somebody coming back to the ball and he fires it down and all of a sudden it's a 15 yard game. And like, that's fun for him too. And them having as much fun (laughs) as they are right now is dangerous. Right. They were
1: clowning, man.
0: Right. After the second quarter, this game was over. I get that it was close down the stretch, but you also got to realize, I think the Chiefs took their foot off the gas big time against the Bucks. They knew they were going to mm-hmm. win that game. The game was over. They had him in the palm of their hand. They knew that they could beat him. They they started off the game basically 17-0 like I said after the first quarter. It was over and they just had fun from that point out. And that's embarrassing for the team that's on the other side when you know that they're absolutely toying with you, especially when it's a game that you tried to get right. out for because it was a big game. But anyways, just yeah, wanted to say Chiefs they're on a level of their own and mm-hmm. I'd like to see them play against the Pittsburgh Steelers just cause I'd like to see how it goes. And I would take the, I would take the chiefs easily in that game, but that would be a fun one. Maybe we get it for the AFC championship game. Who knows?
1: Yeah, I am um, actually my most surprising record here is, is the Buccaneers. And I think that, you know, I remember I was higher than the on you. I was higher than you on the box in the preseason where I, I really thought that, that Tampa was a potential Super Bowl team. Uh, Tony Romo said after the game that he believes that Tampa Bay will be back for the Super Bowl against the Chiefs in Tampa. He's he, which is a bold he, a bold thing to say he, after he, they lose. He
0: should he should not have said that. I think he was yeah. saying. I think he wanted. I think he wanted to say something nice about Tampa because he clowned <laughs> on them professionally. Yeah. Of course, he clowned on them professionally. It's not like he was Twitter lol like lmaoing them all game. But he basically it in the, in the entire fun. first quarter was saying. I don't know why they're doing this. They're completely out of sorts. They're not on the same page. I don't understand this coaching. Why are they? How, how do these guys not have it yet? And he was he was roasting on him. And I think at the end of the game, he was trying to be nice to the Buccaneers, and the wrong words came out of his mouth because I don't
1: think right. he believes that either. And it's in, it's interesting because he 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 thinks it doesn't make sense and it's incongruous, and he also thinks it's going to get fixed. And it's like, yeah, but they've played twelve games. They've got four left. How much time you got? Granted, you granted thing they, around
0: and- they should be four wins. It's Lions, right. Falcons, Falcons, and Vikings. Vikings, yeah, Vikings. Yes.
1: But anyway, so I, I have the Bucks at, at seven and five, and you know, lost to the Saints in Week One, and then they win three straight: Panthers, Broncos, Chargers. Lose to the Bears in primetime, twenty nineteen. Kind of felt like a stupid one. Packers, Raiders, Giants, win, win, win. And especially after that Raiders game at five and two, they were coming off two pretty dominant offensive performances against the Packers and against the Raiders. I felt really good about the Bucs. I, I I felt like the dust had settled. We were about halfway through the season at that time. And they I mean the offense wasn't world beating, but I thought it was definitely functional. And the defense to me was was the driving force behind this team. The Vita Vea injury has caught the defense at the knees. Man, I mean, they just do not have. And like the, the way that he allowed them to play light in the box, which allowed them to a zone blitz and then b just drop in zone and be successful, mm-hmm. drastically not only fact like obviously the running defense fell uh, through the pit with a loss of they in the middle of the field. Linebackers can't play as fast, they can't play as clean, but it it limits what they can do in the passing game. I feel like they've become a lot more white Brad have a a, a far fewer pitches uh, in their passing game in the way that they blitz when via is gone so the defense is really and that's not that's that's not oh we're going to figure this out you can't figure out novea done 350 is gone you know like, like that's that's a big boy with a lot of athleticism you just don't replace that so the defense i think has questions that don't get answered and then the offense which felt like it was settling into the pocket is now completely disjointed and while the Vikings, the Falcons, the Lions and the Falcons represent an extremely easy stretch of passing defenses with uh, with which they can get right. I think it, there's some healthy skepticism there. And so I, I, if you had told me at five and two that the Bucks were going to go two and three against the Giants, the Saints, the Panthers, the Rams and the Chiefs, I would have said, oh, yeah, I can see it. Saints, Rams and Chiefs are all tough. I don't think they'll lose all three. This is a good team. 38 to 3 27 to 24 and they scored late in the Rams game 27 to 24 and they scored late in the chiefs game they've dug multi-score holes I know you've been talking about this uh, in all three of those games significant issue that that if they continue to do it against playoff teams as they have been they're going to keep losing so Tampa does not feel dangerous to me I know Tampa feels disjointed yeah. is the word
0: uh, outscored 52 to 7 in the first quarters of the last four of their games they just don't have the right coaching game plan right now they don't know what to do. They make adjustments, and and I think that they make things competitive at the end because of how they adjust. But uh, this team is struggling to game plan for opponents, especially out the gate. They're putting themselves in in behind the eight ball most weeks, and I, you can't beat you can't beat good teams like this. No way. I mean, I mean the Rams and the, and the Chiefs showed mm-hmm. them that. You just can't do that. You cannot start that far behind the eight ball. You have to come out and really represent yourself a lot better than the Bucs have. So, I, I think they again. I think they're going to make the playoffs. I think they're a wild card team. I think they could even get to the ten win mark because all they got to do is go three and one over their last four. And like I said, they've got a bye week this week, and then it's Vikings, Falcons, um, Lions, Falcons. And so, like those, look, it should be three and one for this team. So they should go ten and six. They should make the playoffs, but Super Bowl contenders. No, um, I don't think they are. Uh, when it comes to getting or staying in shape, guys, nothing feels as good as that feeling of accomplishment. Hitting your fitness goals, feeling great about yourself. Echelon can help you get there. Echelon is the next generation of connected fitness bikes, fitness mirrors, rowing machines, and the Echelon Stride Smart Treadmill. No matter how, uh, or no matter what your favorite fitness activity is, Echelon gives you a fun and challenging way to work out from the comfort of your own home. Unlike their competitors, Echelon is affordable for everybody. Go to echelonfit.com NFL. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N fit.com NFL. Check out all the deals and all the equipment that they have. Christmas time's coming up. Fitness gear. It's a good Christmas gift. I'm just saying. Head on over to it and uh, check all that stuff out. While you're looking at fitness stuff, while you're looking at improving your life, I would then tell you to pivot over To buildbar.com. Go check out all of the 18 amazing flavors that they have for their protein bars. They've got all kinds of great um, offers, all kinds of great packages where you could look at a couple of different flavors and you don't even have to choose. Like If if you find three that you really love and you're like, yeah, but I don't really want to order a box. I I mean, I I I don't eat protein bars that much. You can get one singular box with multiple flavors in it. The bars are super low in calories, low in sugar, and yet high in protein, high in fiber. So you could do yourself an entire fitness favor by going to echelon and then over to uh, builtbar.com. Use the promo code locked on, all caps, no spaces, locked on, and you will get 20% off your next order. That's locked on, 20% off over at builtbar.com for the best tasting and best feeling protein bars on the planet my most surprising record i got two that i just wanted to shout out 49ers minnesota vikings the minnesota vikings now five and six they have won four of their last five and the game that they didn't win was against the dallas cowboys and they only lost it 31 to 28 the Vikings down the stretch have Jacksonville, Tampa Bay, Chicago, New Orleans, and Detroit. Could easily go 3-2 and two in those games. Finish the season 8-8 eight and eight after starting 1-5. and five. If they steal one from Tampa Bay, as we've seen Tampa Bay is volatile, and heck, I don't know, if New Orleans rests their players in Week 16, probably not going to happen, but if it happens, or even if Taysom Hill is out there, maybe it gives them a shot, they might finish above 500. After starting the year one and five, that's pretty, that's pretty incredible. This is still a disappointing season for the Minnesota Vikings because this is a team that I thought was going to have a chance to contend for the division. I thought the Green Bay Packers were going to take a step back. I thought the Vikings were going to take another step up. That hasn't happened until late. And any time, shoot, you know, you drop five of your first six games, that's a hole that you normally can't crawl out of to make it to the postseason. But shoot, man, even if they finished eight and eight. That'd be incredible for them. And then, for as much crap and for as much as I feel like we have just had the 49ers as an afterthought, I know this is going to segue into a little bit of, of what you were talking about with McVay, which will then segue into another topic that I have about the Rams. Oh, my
1: goodness. Crazy.
0: Uh, the San Francisco 49ers, after their victory over LA this past weekend, 5 and 6. <laughs> this is a 5 and 6 team. And, you know, their last look, the three losses that they had were Seattle. Green Bay, New Orleans. Those are three of the best teams. And before that, they had two wins, one against the Rams, one against the Patriots. Like the it Kyle Shanahan, for as much as his hands have been tied behind his back, that feels like this season. Not literally. He hasn't been coaching literally with his hands behind his back, although maybe he could he could probably still do it. I wouldn't doubt Kyle Shanahan to still get a win if that were the case. He's got this team one game behind five hundred, And I'm not going to go to say that they're they in playoff contention because I don't think they are. They still have to play Buffalo. They still have to play Dallas and Washington again. And then they've got the Cardinals one more time and the Seattle Seahawks to end the season. But they're showing a lot more fight than I thought that they were going to for the makeup of this roster. So my hat is off to Kyle Shanahan for what he has done there. And those are my two most surprising rosters at this point in the season.
1: Yeah, big ups, Kyle. That was a humongous win for the Niners. It is also uh, the... Fourth consecutive win for the San Francisco 49ers over the Los Angeles Rams. Now, Wild. yeah, this is an extremely big deal. Why is it a big deal? We don't uh, talk about this enough, address this enough, look at this enough, have the process, in my opinion. But the first thing that the that teams do in the team building process and the draft planning process, free planning two process, is processes, they talk about winning their division. They want to beat the teams in their division. That's the that's the, the first step towards where they want to go. You know, oh, we yeah. want to win a Super Bowl. What do we got to do first? Well, we going to win our division so that we get a top four seed. We get a home playoff game. We potentially get a home field. We get a buy, whatever. The Rams, quite a good team. I don't know if you've heard. Now losing four straight to the 49ers. And it's not just four straight. They had 20 points in this game, but... They had a defensive score, and they also got another short field off of defense. 16 points in, in the earlier game they played this year against the San Francisco 49ers. La- last year, they put up 31 on the Niners. They got 31 points. That's very nice. It's good stuff. Congratulations to That's everyone. very nice. In the, the first game in 2019, they scored seven. In three of the last four games, all of which they've won, Kyle Shanahan is 4-0 against Sean McVay and the Rams. Yes, and I think Shanahan's a tremendous coach, and a lot of goes to Shanahan. Robert Sale's defense has held him below 16 in three of the last four. And, and that defense was better in 2019, right? Had a lot more talent. They had him seven and thirty-one this year with far less talent. 16 and then 13 offensive points. Now, we talk about being able to beat your division. They talked about it a little bit in the broadcast. Lord help me, I do not remember who the broadcasters were, but I thought they were doing quite a good job. This Niners linebacking core is predicated on what? Speed. Dre Greenlaw. Fred Warner. fast, The FAU kid, number 51, whose last name I don't know how to pronounce, but his first name is Azir. Jimmy Ward playing in the box. This is a fast second level. And when the Rams go... Jet motion, they blitz the corner off the side. And when when the Rams go flow you know, on their zone tosses, they go flow wide zone, the linebackers get on their horses and they go. This is an extremely speedy defense at the second level. They play very aggressively downhill against the Rams. They get upfield, they get into gaps, they pursue to the sideline, and they're able to match the Rams. The the, the color commentator, I'm very upset I don't remember who it was, said, and I like the way he turned this, the Rams offense is predicated on space and the Niners defense is predicated on speed to close the space. And I was like, that's that right there. Show talks about the interplay in terms of you're going to play this team twice. And this is one of the best offenses design wise in the NFL. You have to be ready to beat it. And, and, and Selah and the Niners, uh, uh, Lynch, the GM and Shanahan, that coach have a bit of a formula. They, 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 they figured out what they needed to do to beat the Rams. And they've been successful last four games, a lot of that goes to Kyle Shanahan offense is turning out a uh, gr- great, running. You know, they're, they're able to move the ball. They're very physical against a uh, Rams defense, a little bit undersized. That's excellent stuff, but a shout out to Robert sale on that defense who regularly performing against Sean McVay's uh, Rams offense, but befuzzle- befuddling Jared Goff huge for the, for the Niners hey, this year. Are they going to win the division? No, the division's too good, but two divisional wins against the Rams has them in the wildcard hunt, and that's a tremendous amount of injury they they've sustained. So shout out to them. I think, building it the way it should be built and, and and having an answer for one of the top teams in their division.
0: Yeah. Part of my, what do we do with section this week is with the Los Angeles Rams. And, and we've been giving a lot of praise to the Rams over the last couple of weeks, especially for how that defense has been playing. It was one of the hottest defenses in the NFL over the last couple of weeks. And defenses is just, it, it's volatile by nature, right? I mean, like it, it is a bit of a roller coaster, the defensive journey that you're on. And you want to make sure that your defense is, is, Catching on, has momentum, is on a hot streak when you get to the playoffs. And I think that the Rams are still going to be in that realm where they fall on the meter, the hotness meter, if you will. Uh, I'm not sure. That is yet to be seen. But on the offensive side of the ball, things are getting kind of interesting now. McVeigh, you know, Ben, you and I talked about this. Well, everybody talked about this in our in our content meeting after the afternoon games were done. Following the Rams' loss to the Niners, McVeigh was about as blunt and short about his quarterback, Jared Goff, as he has ever been. And in fact, his quote, when asked about some of the things about the game, he said, quote, our quarterback has to take care of the football, end quote. Like, he was short to the point and was like, this has to be better. And you were saying this on our meeting, McVeigh has defended Goff probably more than anybody, and I think like not we much, all much dis-
1: defended Goff has been like
0: it's on me, it's the whole team. Right, right. And, and I, like, and I think ever right, yeah. that's that's what I mean. While we all yeah. kind of sit here, fans, media included, and we go, "Hey, Goff is kind of holding this team back at times." McVeigh would never say that. He would always, you know, be the first to take blame, be the first to say, "Like, okay, I got to put him in a better situation. I got to make better situation." Like, he got to the point today where he was very short. Sure, Our quarterback has to take care of the ball better. Like, that's, that's what he said. And this was a game where McVay had a couple of instances where play calling was not what it needed to be in this game, and yet he still came to the conclusion at the end of the game that Goff has to be better. Look, here's some stats because I wrote about this a little bit after the game. Goff had three turnovers against the Niners. He had two interceptions and he had a fumble. Over his last six starts, he has four passing touchdowns, six interceptions, five fumbles, four of them lost. On the season... Goff has 14 total turnovers, 10 interceptions, 4 fumbles. Those 14 turnovers trail only Carson Wentz, I'm sorry, Ben, for the league's lead at 18. From a long-term perspective, Goff has 62 turnovers since 2017, which is second behind only Jameis Winston, who no longer has a starting spot because of this very reason. That 2017 season for Jared Goff is what everybody points to. The second year in the league, McVay really figured it out. They got to the Super Bowl. They came up short because the Patriots figured it out. They figured it out what McVay was doing, what the, what the rest of the league could not catch up to yet, and they completely neutralized him. But they got it there. And so people were like, okay, you can win with Jared Goff. McVay can win with Jared Goff. But the further away we get from that 2017 season, which was a season where McVay really took the league by storm, doing what he wanted to do, which was a pretty innovative way to play offense with a lot of different 11 personnel things and a lot of different looks and and, and how he was running um, his zone scheme and, and how a lot, he was just doing a ton of different stuff from the same kind of looks like the NFL had not seen before. That kind of condensed playbook thing. The league has really figured out how to neutralize that a lot better than it was when it first came out. So this mystery, this intrigue of this offense that McVay was running is no longer there. And it's not that it's not that what McVay is doing doesn't work anymore. It's that we have reached a point to where unless McVay calls an almost flawless game and has an almost completely blanketing upper hand coaching-wise... His quarterback cannot pick up where he leaves off. On the games in which McVay is not perfect as a coach, Jared Goff can't overcome right. it. And that is an extremely frustrating thing is because head coaches are human. There are going to be some games, even for the best of them, some games that you love, some games that fall short, some guys, some games they, they really game-planned and they nailed it right off the bat. Other games, they're going to come out of the gate and they're going to realize that, oh, man, they're doing something different. I wasn't playing for this. I'm losing a little bit of time. But it's, it's the best teams have the quarterbacks in place to where if the coaching staff just like didn't quite have it right off the bat, the quarterback can go, no, 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 I still got this. Like I'm still talented enough to overcome it a little bit, neutralize it, maybe play a little bit of damage control, keep the team close to where the coach can make the adjustments, they can get back in the game, they can take the lead. Goff can't do that. Goff, like, he he has proven that he cannot do that. Right. And I think Sean McVay is now very frustrated because he knows that. And now it becomes a what happens with the Los Angeles Rams because over the course of a playoff run, there's going to come a time when McVay isn't brilliant or isn't one step ahead of the guy on the other side of the field because he is just as smart, especially the further you get into the playoffs. Your quarterback's got to be able to pick you up sometimes. Goff can't. And I think McVay is realizing that and is now
1: very frustrated about it. You don't like you made your major bed. Big extension. Big extensions at other positions that don't give you the flexibility to get out of this big extension. This is your guy. And he's taking it to a Super Bowl. You we've been with him all the way to the Super Bowl. And obviously in that Super Bowl, you scored three points. Not great. If you're going right, to if, if you're going to get there with this guy again, the players around him need to be quite deft and the coach around him needs to be you know extremely deft in working around his limitations. And the thing is like in this game specifically, it's not even like how much does Goff need to, you know, elevate and how much does like solve this to that. He just needed to not turn the ball over. And they probably would have been fine. I mean, the Niners won this on the game when he field goal at the end. If Goff just doesn't have three turnovers. You're probably okay. So at minimum, get out of the team's way and let let you know kind of the uh, the drivers McVeigh and the system, your offensive lines, some of the wide receivers, let them do the work for you. Right. Uh, maybe maybe it's, fun- it's
0: not even that. Maybe it's to the point where you don't even have to have
1: him overcome it. You just have to have him not put you in a hole. Exactly. Yeah. It's just just don't right. Don't be like it's one thing to not contribute much, not be like a one who lifts up others. It's another thing to be like an anchor and like be dragging it down with three turnovers. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, you bring up golf. We talked about the Niners. You talked about the Rams. My, like, you know, what do we do with here is the Cardinals, which is I said, like, the Niners aren't going to win the division. Well, if the Cardinals continue to lose games to the New England Patriots, then, yeah, I mean, the Niners going to freaking win the division. What are you doing? <laughs> we talked about this game on Thursday as just a game that we expected to be ugly and expected to make no sense, expected the Patriots to be able to run the ball at will. Well the Patriots had 30 rushing attempts for 110 yards. Harris, Newton, James White were able to do ball control. It was it was an ugly game. They were able to really stymie the the passing game deep for the Cardinals. Kyler Murray had yet another game in which he averaged like two yards of completion or something. It just ugly. Ugly game on offense for the Cardinals and then ugly game on, on offense for the Patriots. And that's exactly the sort of game they wanted to play. These quarterbacks combined for less than 250 total yards, zero touchdowns, three interceptions and five sacks. Just and the the, the Patriots are able to win it. Uh, they get an Isaiah Simmons uh, roughness penalty on, on a Cam Newton run that puts them into field goal range. And they kick a game winning field goal in regulation. And you look at the Cardinals and you go, OK, well, they could have won this game. Perhaps they should have won this game. Man, there's a lot of ways they should have lost that Bills game that they had the Hail Mary on. A lot of ways they should have lost that Seahawks game 37 to 34 where everybody screwed up at the end of the game. I mean, this team is good. Right. But not trustworthy that's, at. That's all. that's
0: always how I find myself describing the Arizona Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're, right. they're they're good.
1: Like I I'm I'm positive that they're good but I don't trust them on any given week to perform. So they have the Rams next week. If you you don't get the three turnover game from the Rams, you would expect the Rams to win this game. But also the Cardinals have shown so far this season that when they get the divisional games, Niners in week one, then the Seahawks in in two of the last five weeks, they rise to the occasion. They are three and oh right now against their division. And so if you're you're still looking at the NFC West title, I expect them to show up for the Rams game away. they didn't show up against the Patriots. So they're 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 not a trustworthy team. I don't think they're a very predictable team, uh, and and a lot of that goes to to me to trench talent. It's very hard to be a consistently good team when you're regularly outmanned in the trenches, both on offense and on defense. And with the injuries, Chandler Chandler Jones, uh, their defensive trenches is fairly weak, and then their offensive trenches is is pretty historically bad uh, in terms of like the amount of investment and the talent they put into. It. I know that that you know performance-wise they do well, and a lot of that has to do with the quick passing game. But regardless. Limited trench talent, hot and cold, uh, Co- uh, Cliff Kingsbury in terms of how he makes his decisions. Sometimes he's getting in the way of his team, like we talked about with Lynn. And then Kyler Murray, who just still, to me, is not a mature passer. It's not like a I-, I i can hit the deep dig on the backside of a progression with consistency sort of a guy. And-, and the Patriots were able to, as Bill belichick often does, take away the easy stuff. And Murray's not good at getting to the hard stuff yet as a passer. He'd rather tuck and run. Uh, and so. An incomplete still growing team I, I'm re- I remember when we talked about the Cardinals in the preseason about a team that was young and 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 plucky and w- could be really fun but also there was reason for suspicion and here we are six and five still very much in the NFC playoff race and the NFC West playoff race a game and a half back from Seattle pending their results on on uh, uh Monday Night Football but a very hard team to trust, yeah. and they—they they should. They have the Rams twice, the Niners again, and then two games against the NFC East. So you want to say they win the Giants and Eagles game? Sure. Again, I, I don't trust them, but sure. That's eight and five with three divisional games. I mean, they could be eleven and five, sweep the division and win it comfortably, or be eight and eight and be out of the playoffs. You know, the the, the range of outcomes is very wide still for this young team.
0: Yeah, I mean, shoot, when you look on offense, they're fun. There's a lot to like. They've got Hopkins, Murray's fantastic. Kenny Drake gives you probably what you want in the ground game and uh, a little more in the pass game, but look, shoot, there were there were some throws that Kyler Murray made in, in that Patriots game that were just silly. I mean, he was just showing off the arm talent. He was fading on his back foot, avoiding pressure outside of the pocket, on the run, even in play like on platform, on script. And so, man, I I think the world of Kyler Murray, and I, I think that he gives you a chance almost against any team every single given week. But there's also reasons to not totally fall in love with this team, to have some reservations about them. And so they're just a tricky team in that regard. Um, we're going to save the funeral talk because it's not a team that we need to bury right away, and it's a team that I think that we could talk about their situation on Wednesday's episode. But I wanted to shout out the Rookie of the Week. That is Carolina Panthers linebacker Jeremy Chin. We linebacker? Bo- we bo- uh,
1: What do you want to call him? Well, he's technically to... a safety. This one is a safety.
0: Okay, all right. So safety. I
1: respect you for saying linebacker, though. Speak the truth. I mean, he basically plays
0: linebacker. That's where he
1: lines day. up, baby. Right.
0: You know, like they've got him listed as a safety. Uh, he led the t- he led the team this week with with thirteen combined tackles. I mean, he's he's the number he's number one on the team in combined tackles. Also led tackles the team
1: with twelve points there, my G. On on the <laughs>
0: season. Well, I was getting to that, man. Hold on here. He also had one forced fumble, two fumble recoveries. And two touchdowns against the Minnesota Vikings. He became the first Carolina Panthers player to score two touchdowns. Defensive player, obviously. He became the first Carolina Panthers defensive player to score two touchdowns in a single game. Also became the first player in NFL history, defensive player, to score a touchdown on back-to-back plays. So, hats off to Jeremy Chin. I, I think entering the week, he was fifth highest odds in rookie of the year and even though i don't think he was good i I, like i wouldn't put him above chase young when it comes to rook defensive rookie of the year odds i'd probably put him second i'd probably put him number two like julian blackman's got better passing stats than him um patrick queen has some better linebacker stats than him but like Jeremy Chin is becoming a stats combination of a safety and a linebacker. Like he's filling up the stat sheet, and I don't know if it's going to be enough to overcome Chase Young. Like if Chase Young finishes the year with seven-ish sacks, I think they'll probably still give it to him over Jeremy Chin. But right now, I put Chin number two on on my defensive rookie of the year list.
1: It's interesting. He, I like I. The nation went all over the place on Chin, right? Where it was like after five weeks, they were like Chin is the best defense player on the Panthers. I was like, all right, we got to chill out. And then I think that he's gotten better progressively week to week. Obviously, with like you know a bit of a roller coaster, and perception on him has kind of gone from oh he's so good, and then kind of just like waned down a little bit when he wasn't getting like two TFLs a game, which he did against the Chargers or whatever. And now it's too quiet on him, right? Now I think that like Chin continues to play to me like yeah, one of the best defensive prospects that was drafted. Mm-hmm. Really, really cool and and you know educational to watch Phil Snow and that three safety defense. Be like, hey, do you want to be really fast and really big and hit a lot of people? And Chin's like, yeah, I'm like, I want to put you in the middle of the defense. Just do that. <laughs> and Chin's like, yeah, I got you. Like that's but that's a little bit what that defense does. It gives you the ability to take a player with Chin's athleticism and his range and his hitting power and his length and say, hey run, you know, and and for, and for Jan, a player who lines up so many different spots and I don't think his keys are perfect. Just yet. He makes a lot of mistakes. That's that's a good place to be in. They get him on the line of scrimmage. That's another good place for him to be because of how quickly he reacts. So defense working nicely scheme wise with talent to maximize him. And that's how you get really good play out of the last pick in the second round. All right. Got anything else to add
0: before we get out of here? I mentioned. I mean, the Raiders are very hot and cold now. They're a very volatile team. You know, you talked about the Cardinals. Not sure what you get every single week. Uh, unfortunately, the Raiders are also entering that category. And then, man, I I know the Browns won again this week against the Jacksonville Jaguars. But Browns are eight and three. This is the this is the most
1: lied to eight and three. It feels like of all time. They're eight and three. They're gonna get. They're gonna be the five seed. So they're gonna get who? Not the Bills, no. Titans, no. I'm looking up the Jeez, round schedule. Yeah. Oh, on. they're probably going to get the Bills. I mean, they're going A- to I- AFC four seats together, yeah, the Bills or the Titans. Bills are the winner of the AFC South, I should say. The
0: Browns Good. still have to play the Titans, the Ravens, and the Steelers, which, okay, if you want to say that all three of those are losses, that would... 10-6. and I mean, six. I mean, they still have both New York teams, though. They've got the, the right. Giants and the Jets. So, I th- yeah, right, I think I, the teams 10-6, yeah. and 11-5, right. something like that.
1: Browns are going to get the Bills at home, or the Titans at home, or the Colts at home, as their uh as their first playoff game, and they're going to be like six point dogs, like six and a half, seven point dogs, yeah, and deservedly so because but they beat the Colts earlier this year. Oh, weird team, <laughs> right? Right, weird it's, team. It's, it's very rude. It's very weird.
0: All right, on uh, tomorrow's episode of the podcast, we're going through everything that happened in the college football world. Ben and I are going to talk about some college football playoff stuff, some overarching college football themes and storylines, but most importantly, we are going to bring some more names to the table for you guys when it comes to the 2021 NFL Draft. We'll be updating you on how a lot of the top names, intermediate names, some sleeper names did over the weekend, and then on Wednesday, we're going to bring some of those names uh, into the NFL in mock draft form as we do another midweek mock draft with the brand new updated draft order that was not quite finalized on Sunday night because there is one more game to happen uh, on Monday and can the Eagles how far can the Eagles move the Eagles can't retake the division can they
1: yes they can they can they'd be four six and one and the best team would otherwise it'd be four four and seven seven.
0: okay so the Eagles could totally throw things off and if they win then they're gonna uh, vault uh, the New York Giants out of 19 and then back into the top 10, and then the Eagles will be picking 19. So I guess we still have a lot to figure out from the Monday night game. But regardless, we're going to have a brand new mock draft for you on Wednesday's episode. Until then, you guys keep it locked right here, unlocked on, on NFL draft.